welcome back to a long overdue episode of Financial Flex with Lex. It's been, literally, I feel like it's been forever. Um, I feel like I should do a life update for you guys, but I'll probably save that for another episode because I'm way too excited to share with you guys today's conversation with Alana Lark. I've known Alana literally since middle school, and we recently started working together at my current job. Um, Alana is a global filmmaker whose work has taken her all over the world. She's best known for her work as the cinematographer for the MLK exhibit, A Right to Freedom, at the Nobel Museum in Stockholm. She is the director, co-producer, and co-writer of Sweet Auburn Blues, a film about a historically black neighborhood that's here in Atlanta, um, struggling to return to its former glory. Today, I got the chance to sit and chat with Alana about what it's like to be an entrepreneur, banking black, and maybe why it's not such a great idea to blow refund checks from school. Be sure to rate and review my podcast if you enjoyed, and be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Financial Flex Podcast. All right, so let's get into today's episode. For those who may not know who you are, give us a rundown of who you are. Who I am. Well, like emotionally or like <laughs> workspace wise, like just like friend. Give us give, just give us everything. Okay, everything. Um, well, I'm um, I call myself East Alana because most of my work revolves around Atlanta. I am a filmmaker who focuses mostly on telling black stories and um, putting a lens to the black experience in America specifically, as well as sometimes in West Africa, which is where my family's from. As you know, this podcast was like, originally started because I was like tracking my way to getting out of debt, but I thought it would be a lot more interesting if I just like had other millennials like share their experiences with money and like how they think about money because I think it's something that we don't talk about a lot. And I really wanted to kind of like break through that like taboo feeling. Um, so... Let's, let's just take it back to, you know, when you were a kid, like living at home with your parents. Um, how is money discussed in your household and how has it affected the way you handle your money today? You know, money was never really discussed in my household growing up. And even to this day, it's not really discussed. Um, I remember being in elementary school and the first time I was ever taught about money was when I was being a bad kid and I took my mom's wallet full of like all these credit cards to school with me just to show all my friends like I got money oh or whatever and then one of my friends quote friends snitched on me and the teacher was like what are you doing with all of these credit cards and I was like oh you know I've got money or whatever <laughs> and she was like no you don't your mother's name is on this card I'm calling her right now oh and gosh. so that was the first time that my mom sat me down and was like these are not toys this is like money's on this for real mm. <laughs> and you could have gotten it stolen and you know there's credit card fraud and all this stuff and I was in third grade I was I had no idea what she was talking oh about oh my gosh so needless to say as a result of that trauma I took <laughs> getting a credit card as an adult very seriously mm-hmm. um and so i only have one and i've only had one ever 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 wow do you think that you'd ever get more not until i pay this one off <laughs> and Fair i would, i feel like it's keeping me to a very evil bank like tied to a very evil bank 
known as Wells Fargo. Oh. And if I didn't ouch. owe them anything, <laughs> I would have definitely switched to like a black owned bank by now. Mm. Um, put my money where my trust is. Yeah. Wow. So uh, growing up, there was never any like, like you don't remember your mom telling you like, Alana, you need to save your money. Or like, Alana, like money doesn't grow on trees. Um, only passing by McDonald's, typical black family, yeah. like, mom, can we sell McDonald's? She was like, you got McDonald's money? <laughs> There's like, rice oh. at the house. <laughs> so that was the extent of it. Um, I think I didn't realize that we didn't have that much money as, a, as kids um, until, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I didn't realize that my family didn't have that much money until my mom started sort of making more money. Um, and just this stark difference of like what we would eat for dinner, for example. Like I just remember being like, mom, why don't we eat Spam for dinner anymore? She's like, girl, that meat comes out of a can. I was so glad when I could stop feeding you guys that. Yeah. Um, but it's so funny because these are the things that we would like kind of miss. Like mm-hmm. we grew to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then when my mom didn't have to feed it to us. She was like, this is actually a really great thing. You'll understand later in life. Yeah. So um, you grew up in like a single family household. Yes. Yeah. My mom um, was mom and dad, but uh, she got married in 08. And um, yeah, I think that having two incomes in the house, like it was very later on, um, like I was already about to be in high school by then, Mm -hmm. but having two incomes in the household, you could see the difference. Yeah, like, for sure. In, our, in what we had. Yeah, for sure. So I want to touch on um, black-owned banks for, for like a quick second. Um, that's not something I feel like you hear about often, like black-owned banks and them being around. So like, can you kind of touch on that? Yeah, so um, I worked on this film called Sweet Auburn Blues uh, for about two years. Um, And it just came out in December of last year. And through making that film, I got to learn about some of the institutions that um, black communities created for themselves out of um, the necessity because a black person could not take their money to a white owned bank for a while. So um, Citizens Trust Bank specifically It's actually where my grandma got her first job out of college, and it's right on Auburn Avenue. Well, it was right on Auburn Avenue. And I guess my ties to that historically through my grandmother, and then also it was sort of a reborn interest through making this film about Mm -hmm. how important it is to keep your money where, you know, where your people are at, group economics, and like all these ideas about black people putting their money together and and what that means for us economically and status-wise in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, Once desegregation happened, a lot of black people started taking their money to white-owned banks. And a lot of... Why do you think that is? Because they could. So um, think about it like you can now have access to anything you want. And it's almost like a statement. You're like, hey, I can take my money right here to this black-owned bank or this white-owned bank. But to make a political statement with your money is probably the biggest statement you can make. 
what I think we could have done is to keep our money in our black banks. And that would have made a bigger statement where our people could win. Mm -hmm. But I don't think our mentality was there at that time. And I definitely don't think our mentality is there right now. What are your thoughts on the black community and generational wealth? I think that the black community, and this is so hard to get into because it can be perceived wrong, what I'm going to say. But I say it with love and concern. The black community is still kind of like, well, we're still oppressed, but not Mm -hmm. just with business, but mentally. Mm -hmm. So think about the glass ceiling for women and imagine that there's this other glass ceiling for black people and we can't really fathom having a certain amount of wealth beyond what we've already seen and known and obviously there are exceptions to that like there's oprah Mm jay-z beyonce love them kings and queens but um i think that the average african-american still feels like a certain amount of wealth is not even accessible to us Mm -hmm. and with that mentality comes the decision to just make money for your lifetime and generational wealth is not it's not even present in in our culture and so that's why you know all these questions you've asked me about money um growing up and like conversations i've had about money and they're very minimal mm-hmm. um and i just don't think that we educate our youth or our communities enough about what it would take to create generational wealth. And in a way, we're just trying to get by on our own, mm-hmm. on an individual level. Mm-hmm. And um, it's unfortunate, but I don't think that I am separate from that. Like I think even the fact that I don't, think about a 401k or paying off my debt very soon Mm -hmm. it's all part of me having a small mind about money and being like it would be great if I could just at least make my investment back you know like that I should be thinking way bigger than that but I'm not yet Mm -hmm. um so I think it would really take a shift in our culture as far as how we understand money mm-hmm. and i hope that we can get there is it like as easy just like googling like black owned banks and then just like finding one that's like in your community and just banking there i assume so i have only had my eyes on citizen trust okay but when you look at these new technologies that make um giving money to a friend or a family member like you can use zelle easily with any bank pretty much but a lot of these black owned banks don't have zelle so and then you have to think about also atm accessibility yeah when you can go to wells fargo on every corner or bank of america or chase and you have to give up that luxury just because of your political beliefs and you know supporting a black owned bank it can get kind of tricky. Yeah. But some of these banks will literally pay your ATM fees at other ATMs. Gotcha. So, They'll like reimburse yeah, you. Yeah. So you That's just awesome. gotta do your research. Research. Yeah. Um, but I have not yet to do that, so I don't think I would be an expert on all that. <laughs> just some thoughts. Then. 
No, it's definitely some something to to think about because I've I've watched other um, like radio like TV shows and stuff like mentioned like Black Owned Banks and like, the importance of it. Um, so I definitely think maybe that's something I should like look into as well. I encourage it. Yeah. When you do it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Let me pay off this debt real quick. Oh it's gosh. really not bad. Like it's really not bad. It's just. Um, the decision to just be like, all right, I know I could just keep making these monthly small payments. Yeah. Or I could take a chunk, chunk. of what I have in my checkings account and just be rid of this. Yeah. This horrible cool. bank. Are you a spender or are you a saver? I am quite the spender. But I will say that as of recently, I have been spending on things that some might call an investment in okay. my business. So, um, a little background for you guys at home who don't know, Alex and I work together on a regular basis with Spinrilla, and um, I do videography for them, she does marketing for them, and um, before they hired me to start freelancing, doing video work, I spent a good $4,000 on equipment. (laughs) But it's good equipment, though. $4,000. It's like really nice stuff, you guys. Thank you. And I guess... I say this to say that had I not made that investment, maybe Spinrilla wouldn't have taken me on um, as regularly because they would have had to provide more than what I could provide, which is never a good feeling. Mm, yeah. Um, but as far as like spending, like I travel a lot. I love to go to hookah bars and <laughs> I love to go out to eat and like enjoy myself. I enjoy life. I'm not the kind of person who's like, I made this money, I gotta put it away and like not look at it for a really long time. I'm like, you know, I I work hard, I play hard. Yeah. As cliche as that sounds, I really do. Which is like not a bad thing. I I personally don't think so. It's like you work hard, so like you wanna like take this time to enjoy your money and like I mean, as weird or cliche as it sounds like you're only young once, so it's kind of like Listen, enjoy. Alex, I don't wanna hear from you <laughs> paying off all my college debt. Okay. Like there are so many better ways to be than be a spender. Like I could be in no debt. This is true. <laughs> so like um so you have credit card debt. Do you have like student like is that the only kind of debt you have, or do you have like student loan? Honestly, car? Like, in comparison to my student loan debt, I would call my credit card like a sneeze, like a like a laugh, a giggle, <laughs> like a chuckle. Um, my student loan debt, and I had Hope scholarship all throughout. Oh wow! Yeah, and it didn't do shit. Really? Yeah. Huh. I mean, of course it did, but I don't see it. Explain for those who may, sorry to interrupt, but explain to those who like may not know what Hope is, because I know not, like in Pennsylvania, we didn't have Hope or anything. Okay, Hope Scholarship is when you get a 4.0 average or above GPA in Georgia. It's paid for by the Georgia Lottery, and it will give you from 84% to, if you get Zell Miller, which is like a higher GPA, I think it's like Wait, no, no, sorry. 3.0. Okay, okay. And then if you get, like, a 3.8 or a 4.0, you get the Zell Miller, which, like, pays for pretty much 100% of your college. But Hope, like, Standard Hope, what I have, what I had was about 84% paid off of your tuition, which sounds like a crap time yeah right? it does but then it gets you have to think about like room and board food plan yes all, all the other that. stuff and like 
if you're still in college and you're getting these refund checks, they're not just free money. You're going to have to pay that back plus let, some. Let the people know. Okay, so you might as well just go ahead and give it right back. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean I can't go buy that new flat screen TV I've been eyeing? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, re- refund checks are like, you think, you really do think it's your money. I used to pay like my rent with my refund Me check too. money. Oh, like, yes. I'd be like, oh, we balling. Yeah. We're going to Buckhead. Turn on. Like, if I could go back and tell my college-going self, don't do it. Just put it back. Put it back. I would. So you have, like, your credit card debt, and then you have your student loan debt. Do you have, like, so, like what's your, like, plan for those, would you say? Because um, I know some people, like, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was like, I'm totally fine pay- with, like, the paying, like, the minimum payment on my student loans and taking 20 years. He's like, that doesn't bother me. He's like, I'd rather live my life and enjoy my life and just, like, make these payments, and when they're done, they're done. And then yeah. I have another friend who is like, uh, I'd rather – she's like, I don't want to do what you're doing, which is, like, scorched earth living. She's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and she's like, I definitely don't want to take 20 years to pay it off. She's like, I'm thinking, like, somewhere, like, you know, and, like – five years like maybe i can try and pay mine off and then there's like people like me who are like i want to get this red get rid of this in like a year which probably won't happen but we'll see hey i if anyone could do it you could do it <laughs> Thanks. i think i'm i'm trying to pay it off in 10 years like that's solid um i've calculated it i don't really have to pay that much to pay it off in 10 years it's it's probably like as much as i pay on my car insurance gotcha um, so I think it's possible for sure, but I mean, it's, it's only something that I've started to think about, honestly, mm. since I started following you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're just like, we paid it off. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is possible? And I just started to like reevaluate uh, my life. Mm. Um, and then as far as like my plan for credit card, another post you had was asking people like, what's the worst decision you've made as far as credit cards go yeah and like someone posted some really like awesome stuff about like how much they're paying off Mm -hmm. like every month they pay it off Mm -hmm. I'm like what that's genius why didn't I ever think about that and so literally from seeing that post I paid off like a couple hundred oh my gosh like claps claps I guess (laughs) Because that's money I would have had in my checking account. It just feels like... feels weird, right? It feels so wrong. But at the same time, I think it is necessary. So, yeah, I used to be really, really good about paying off my credit card and, like, keeping it really, really low. But um, they keep raising the amount that I have available to me. Okay. Which helps with your credit score, Mm -hmm. but it also makes it really easy to be like, whoa guess i could spend more more. and keep it below a third of yeah you know the the possible balance yeah do you have any like financial goals that you're working towards currently i would like to i would like to get back to where i was before i invested six grand into my company Mm. i invested six thousand in the past six months oh my gosh wow Mm -hmm. and it was really difficult because to see your checking go from like 
like okay yeah <laughs> you're doing it to like huh? <laughs> real quick real quick and um everyone i talk to about like my frustration of having done this they're like but it's an investment Mm-hmm. But it's an investment. I'm like, if you, if anyone says investment to me one more time, I'm gonna be so mad <laughs> because it doesn't feel like that until it pays off. Yeah, and you have more than what, what you, you invested in, and I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, the other thing is just like finding a way to understand when my invoices are gonna get paid. Because like being a business owner, you don't have. A paycheck coming in every week or two weeks mm-hmm. so you know some projects I work like I speaking of Georgia lottery I worked for them last month and I don't anticipate getting that invoice paid for another two months <sighs> just because of how their pay scheduling works yeah and so where you put I have so many clients that are like that mm-hmm. some clients who you know pay the invoice on time shout mm-hmm. out spinrilla <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's just you have to be able to know like okay just because you work this amount of hours this week doesn't mean that's how much money you're gonna have at the end of the month when you pay rent yeah so let's let, like let's get into like your like the entrepreneur side of things like how when you first started out like how were you able to um like have that money where you work like was it something where you were just like working and then like you saved up the six thousand and then you invested or was it like little by little well <clears throat> the the six thousand wasn't until i was year three of my business which oh, wow. for most businesses you don't start making money until year two mm-hmm. for me it was until year three mm-hmm. but i was also in college when i started it so um i just had a normal nine to five at one time it was so stupid like i was working two nine to fives to be able to afford my apartment to the point where i took a break from college Mm -hmm. when it was like i moved to atlanta to be near college so i was just like working all the time to to support myself in an apartment that i never got to enjoy because i was always out working so dumb i'll never do that again but um yeah i mean i saved up enough through that to buy a camera mm-hmm. i spent like 700 dollars on a camera 20 bucks on like the cheapest tripod i can find on amazon and then like a little bit of money on sound equipment that really lasted me until very recently um and i would just go out and shoot content for free for people and I would give them the videos. I'd be like, please tag me and hope that people would just start Seeing catching on and yeah. being like, maybe we should bring her on. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get paid for any projects until like six months into having my business. Oh, wow. So you were working like your regular nine to five mm-hmm. and then um, working on your business yep. like for free until it was able, until you were able to start generating yes. some income. Yes. So would you advise, because I, I, I see this a lot. A lot of people are like, I'm gonna quit my job and focus on my dream, like on my on on the business on the business that I want to create. And like personally, me, I'm a bit against that because I'm like, well, you're gonna need money to like invest in your business. Like, where is that money gonna come from if you quit your nine to five? You know what yeah. I mean? I think every person's situation is different. So I directed a show called Good and Well with Arshel. It's a wellness show. 
that my sister um, is the talk show host of. Mm-hmm. And our latest episode was actually about entrepreneurship. And we inter- we interviewed a woman named Felicia Lowy, who has a company called The Assembly Line. And she talked about how, like, if you're working your nine to five to save up for your dream job, like, that's amazing. And you will probably have to work two jobs, your real, like, nine to five and your dream Mm -hmm. until you can get consistent income from that dream to quit that nine to five. And another thing she mentioned was, you know, a lot of us feel like we're too grown to move in with mom or or whatever, but if you got to move in with mom to support your to support your dream, then you should do that. Like save that money and then invest in your business. Um, so yeah, you can watch Good and Well with our show on Human TV, H-U-E-M-A-N-T-V. Yeah, six months into uh, your business and you're finally making money. Like how did that, like what did that feel like to you? I mean, I couldn't charge very much yet because I was so new. So. When I say I was getting paid, I mean like 250, 300 here, you know, like never, I never really made what kind of effort I was putting in. Mm-hmm. But when you start anything, it's like super hard. So yeah. there's, and you're also not credible enough to be paid very much. Yeah, to be like, give me a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I deserve for all this hard work. Yeah. True, but not for what the product was. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's your question, like, when does one start to see the benefits of like entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. um for me it is this year year three honestly um once i put out my documentary and started working for like bigger clients like the nobel museum um and i guess that was like year two and a half but when you start to actually work on projects that you're not only passionate about but they also pay you what you deserve because of a certain skill set that you have accumulated over time with your hard work. Mm-hmm. That's when you start to feel like, okay, I'm doing this right and I'm doing this for a reason. But don't get me wrong, every month when rents due and bills are due, I have that question inside of my mind like, girl, is it time to get a nine to five? Mm-hmm. And I know I've, I've talked to you about yeah, that yeah, a I've couple times. About that, yeah. Like, you know, maybe I should go work for a network for a little while. Um, it'll give me more credibility and like it'll make sure that I can keep working on projects that are really like high level clients and whatever that means. But um, <clears throat> what I ended up what I ended up realizing is that I would not have time for projects that I'm passionate about if I were working at nine to five. Gotcha. So it's like a sacrifice of, no, you don't get that weekly or bi-weekly paycheck, but you're going to grind for it and you're going to work just as hard, if not harder than anyone else and make sure that like you can get what it takes to sustain your life. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, being an entrepreneur, you have to just like make that decision and be like, I know that I can do this. It's going to be hard, but I got it. Mm-hmm. How do you manage that? Because like me, I get paid bi-weekly. So I'm like, okay, I know this day and this day I'm getting my paycheck. So I know this day I can put money towards whatever. So like, how do you do that as an entrepreneur? Uh, Especially 
like obviously like not right now but like back then when you know it was kind of like sparse you know what I mean so like how are you able so like how are you able to like manage that and make sure that you have enough to cover rent cover like cover your basic necessities yeah that's a great question so when I finally quit my jobs and like I was like okay you have to get back in school like this is crazy I was fortunate enough to be in a relationship with someone who had a steady income and was like mm-hmm. doing really well financially and we moved in together and he took care of the bills and okay. rent and was kind of like do you do what you got to do to make this like sustain itself mm-hmm. so I give a lot of credit to that relationship and I've seen in so many of my entrepreneurial friends that like whether it's their significant other or their mom where which is like my sister in my sister's situation like she has this amazing company called the Bombshell Factory, and um, she's living at my mom's house right now. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then when she's not living at my mom's house, she's living in my dad's condo. Mm. Um, we, as an entrepreneur starting out, you can't have so much pride that you're not willing to accept help. Oh, wow. Like, you have to have a support system that will sustain you when you're not getting any clients because you're, you're no one to a lot of people yet until you put in that work and you get that um, track record of, of like what you can provide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to like lean on that support system is so important for the beginning of this journey. And then over time, you will build enough of a client base that you can just take care of yourself so, as well. So you would say just like not being too prideful to like ask for help when you need it and then kind of just like going from there yeah like even that relationship that did help me get further it didn't last forever Mm -hmm. and I moved out on my own and Mm -hmm. at certain points I've had to reach out to mentors and be like hey I don't have any clients right now (laughs) what do you need like Mm -hmm. how can I you know hop in there and like uh get some work um and if you have enough people who like really believe in you and want to see you succeed, they'll find a place for you. And if not, they'll know where to point you to so that you can stay afloat. I feel like that's a side of entrepreneurship that like you don't really hear about. Like being like not having like so much pride to like go and like ask for help when you need to. So that's I think that's like super valuable information. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. And what's one money myth that you've heard? Hmm. I guess one myth that I've heard is that in order to be a millionaire, you have to have at least nine incomes. And that just is crazy to me because it, to the average person, you would think that means you have to have nine jobs. Mm -hmm. But having nine incomes and having nine jobs are two different things because to have income that can be happening passively. Yeah. So it could be, you know, having property that you rent out, um, but you have a manager who takes care of all of that. You just made the investment to have that property. Mm-hmm. Or one income, one source of income could be your spouse. Yeah. That's another part of it's having true. income. Um, and so I just don't want people to think that in order to have this insane amount of money, you have to exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. Yes. It's yeah. not necessary. Mm-hmm. And there are other ways that you can invest, like stock, stocks and bonds and 
Bitcoin. I don't know. Whatever, <laughs> do what you got to do, but um, just don't kill yourself. Yeah. Are you um, Are you invested in like the stock market? I wish I were. Honestly, I am not. But 401k or anything? I don't have a 401k. No, ma'am. Yeah. I think until my business really takes off, it's going to be a little minute mm-hmm. before I can do anything like that. Gotcha. That. Hey, I mean, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, as we near like the end of the end of this podcast I always love to like ask my guests like if you could go back in time and give your 18 year old self like words of wisdom about money what would you say to her (sighs) I think I would tell her to just start her business now if if being in entrepreneurship has taught me anything it's that the sooner you start the sooner you start making money from it and just don't be afraid to not dedicate your time to other people's dream that your dream is so important and if any of your effort should be going to anything it should be that mm-hmm. so definitely like 18 year old self you're gonna be a filmmaker just do it now <laughs> start <laughs>